Well, greetings and welcome to this week's edition of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawastowski, and I'm the host of this podcast, and I am the president of the We the People Convention. And this podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of the donors to the We the People Convention. And you can join them in supporting our efforts by going to wethepeopleconvention.org and just clicking on any of the donate buttons. We are recording this podcast on Saturday, February 5th, 2022, and we're awful glad that you've joined us for what I think you will find to be a a rather exceptional podcast. We have a lot to share with you, Uh, and I will tease the fact that I had said last week that uh, we were going to have an interview with Hans von Spakovsky from Heritage Foundation, and we indeed did have that uh, interview this week, and there were some surprises in there. Hans gave us some information that uh, I was not aware of that will really help us be more effective in, in our fight to restore election integrity, so that'll be coming up here shortly in the podcast. If you're new to this podcast, our goals are very straightforward. We want to protect and defend our individual liberty, freedom, and prosperity and the American way of life. So this show is about looking at what's happening around us in the world, getting rid of all the nonsense, focusing on the things that are happening that directly affect you and your family and your freedom and your liberty and your prosperity. And then we talk about what we're going to do about it. This show is not just about me talking and you listening. It's about us acting. And I will have very clear asks of you this week for you to do this week that will make a difference in your life, in my life, and in our in our entire country, because we the people are are the ones that have to protect and defend our own liberty, as I will make very clear to you here during the course of this broadcast. So Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, we, uh, we hope that, uh, you know, you will enjoy this podcast and then you will share it with others. Uh, and so let's get into it right now. Now, we have been focused very much, uh, for the last year uh, on the, uh, the political prisoners being held in Washington, D.C., uh, who were, you know, basically imprisoned and have been held in solitary confinement without bail, uh, for over a year. And, you know, and, and so we've been supporting them and we ask you to support them. And they have a webpage. It's called j6truth.org, j6truth.org. And if you go there, you can uh, click to donate to help them pay for their lawyers. Uh, you can you know, find information on how to contact them. And many of our members have been writing to the prisoners, giving them support, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, just telling them we haven't forgotten about them. And I, I got several of those letters this week that people, that the you know, political prisoners had written to you and you forwarded to me. And they're, they're just very touching. These are, these are real patriots. And, um, and, and it's, it's just critical for us to continue to, to have them at top of mind, to talk about them and to, and to keep fighting for them to get justice and for the people who are legally persecuting them, not prosecuting them, persecuting them and breaking the laws, uh, to, to hurt them, that they will be brought to justice. So we, we generally start with a prayer, uh, for them. 
Uh, and, and I'd like you to take a moment right now uh, to, to say a quick prayer for their lawyers, for them and for their families who are going through this terrible you know, ordeal. And then I've got some important news uh, about J6 uh, you know, and, and what's going on there with the prisoners. So just take a second now and say a quick prayer. All right. Now, I will tell you that, you know, I, I think your prayers are working. The people, uh, the, the letters that I'm seeing from the prisoners, it is remarkable to me how strong they are, how uh, committed to their cause they are, how they know they're innocent in many cases, and that, you know, they just need to... Uh, you know, they just need to get to a trial where they can present their evidence, but they're being denied their evidence. They're being denied trials. We have been in touch, as you know, with Jake Lang. Uh, there's an interview at wethepeopleconvention.org. He is one of the, the, the political prisoners. And as I told you last week, Jake has decided to go on a hunger strike. And he started that hunger strike this Monday, uh, the 31st of January. And I want to read to you the most recent correspondence I have from Jake. As he sent out a message, and, and they're, they're trying to keep him from communicating. But uh, I did get this message. I think it was on Thursday. Today is day four of the hunger strike. They are threatening me to take me to a medical unit where I will be stripped down naked in a glass cell where they will monitor me 24-7 and put me in a suicide vest with no access to my attorney, family, phone, or tablet. That has already been cut off, but I use other people's to reach the outside daily. My body is still strong, and I am sustained by the grace of God. I feel clear-headed and sturdy. I am refusing to be moved. They have threatened to pepper spray me and carry me out of the hole and throw me in the 24-7 supervision area. The D.C. jail, uh, and, and along with its Department of Justice federal judges, who will not grant us bail, are violating our human rights. When you protest against them, their solution is to further torture you and confine you in unbearable conditions. Pray for me. I will stand my ground and continue to fight for justice for Ashley Babbitt and Roseanne Boylan and all the January 6th Patriot heroes. God is with us. This may be my last update for a while. I'm counting on all of you and your networks to show up on February 23rd at 2.30 p.m., outside the D.C. Federal Courthouse at 333 Constitution Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., and peacefully protest for the political prisoners' freedoms. So that's the, you know, that's the plan. He's going to do a hunger strike until his next, uh, you know, hearing on the 23rd, and then there's going to be, uh, you know, a protest outside the federal courthouse at 333 Constitution Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C. at 2.30 p.m. I have been in contact with uh, some of the groups that we've worked with before uh, for these, uh, you know, protests to, to bring to light the plight of the J6 political prisoners, like Look Ahead America. Uh, our, I have not yet defined the role of We the People Convention in this February 23rd event yet. We, we will play some sort of a role. 
But for those of you who would like to go and support the prisoners and make an appearance, uh, February 23rd is a date you should mark on your calendar. And I'll have more information, you know, as, uh, as we go through this month of February before that date, uh, as I learn more about what's exactly going to happen and what the goals are. So, uh, you can also go to j6truth.org and find out, uh, some more information uh, that Jake has posted and will, it seems to be able to update it on occasion. So go to j6truth.org and find that out. President Trump was uh, highly criticized because at his uh, Texas rally, he said that he would, if he became president again, he would consider pardoning a lot of the J6 uh, prisoners, political prisoners. And he was criticized by Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. And this is what he had to say. And excuse the video on the audio on this video. It's not the greatest, but you'll get what President Trump had to say. And some of these people are not guilty. Many of these people are not guilty. What they've done to, to these, and in many cases, patriots, their soldiers, their policemen, what they've done to them compared to what they've done to the other side, you know, you have to have equal justice. And this isn't equal. So I would absolutely be prepared. And Lindsey Graham doesn't know what the hell he's talking about if he says that, because you have to have equal justice. It's very, very unfair what's happened to this group of people. Understood. So there's President Trump saying, you know, his concern is equal justice. And, you know, his concern is that the J6 prisoners have been treated so much differently than the Antifa and Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, people who did much more severe damage, uh, you know, attacked the federal building in Portland daily, nightly, you know, for months on end. And, and so he's, he's pretty clear about the fact that he feels that this, you know, that, that there's been injustice here. Unbelievably, Christopher Ray, the corrupt FBI director who Trump should have never appointed, spoke at the Reagan Library this week and literally looked at the crowd and said he sees no difference in how the FBI has treated the J6 political prisoners and how they treated the Antifa people. And yet the, the, the evidence is clear. And you'll see if you go to, you know, to the WeThePeopleConvention.org and click on the big yellow button that says our podcast page, I list all the articles uh, that uh, for the stories in each week's podcast. And I'll have a link in that, uh, you know, underneath the, our podcast there, which will take you to a story that shows flat out that the, the Justice Department and the FBI have been handling the Antifa people with, with a completely different, completely different level of scrutiny. So Christopher Ray's a liar. But what, you know, what else is, you know, what else is new, right? You guys knew that. This came out this week and this is really rich. The, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy is rich. Pelosi's Congress claims sovereign immunity for January 6th. This is a, a, an article uh, about Judicial Watch. The Congress of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi Pelosi, via its police department, argues that videos and emails from January 6th are not public records. There is no public interest in their release and that sovereign immunity prevents citizens from suing for their release, a government watchdog group which sued for the January 6th materials said. 
Judicial Watch has filed an opposition to the U.S. Capitol Police effort to shut down Judicial Watch's federal lawsuit for January 6 videos and emails. The Pelosi Congress and its police department is telling a federal court it is immune from all transparency under the law and is trying to hide every second of its January 6 videos and countless emails, stated Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. The hypocrisy is rich, as this is the same Congress which is trying to jail witnesses who cited privileges, object to uh, providing documents to the Pelosi January 6th committee. So see, you know, Meadows and, and, and many of Trump's staff are saying, you know, we're not going to share this information with the January 6th commission, which is a, an illegal and, in, in, you know, invalid committee because it doesn't have this proper number of Republicans that the House Minority Leader appointed on it, they're denying these people the ability to hide their text messages and emails and things. But now Nancy Pelosi in the Congress wants to make sure none of the video ever gets out. Well, what are you hiding? What are you hiding, Nancy? Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit under the common law right of access after Capitol Police refused to provide any records in response to a January 1st Judicial Watch um, uh, request. They're asking for email communications between the U.S. Capitol Police executive team and the Capitol Police Board concerning the security of the Capitol on January 6th. The time frame of this request is from January 1st, 2021 through January 10th, 2021. January 1st, you know, uh, being the, the date that they, they filed. Email communications to the Capitol Police Board with Federal Bureau of Investigation, U.S. Department of Justice, U.S. Department of Homeland Security concerning the security of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The time frame of this request is the same. All video footage from within the Capitol between 12 p.m. and 9 p.m. on January 6. Because Congress exempts itself from the Freedom of Information Act, Judicial Watch brought its lawsuit under the common law right of access to public records. In opposing the broad assertion of secrecy, Judicial Watch details Supreme Court and other precedents that uphold the public's right to know what their government is up to. It's outrageous. It's just plain and simply outrageous. And the reason that Jake Lang and the other prisoners are still there is because they're being denied access to materials that would prove their innocence. And, and, and the DOJ has already been caught numerous times. Many of you may have seen a story, I almost put it out this week, uh, where the DOJ is claiming that the, the protesters on January 6th broke through these giant doors at the Capitol to gain entry. And the lawyers for th those defendants, and I think it involves Oath Keepers, they found some video of showing that these doors weigh like, I don't know, 20,000 pounds and have electromagnetic locks on it and can only be opened from the inside. And the, and the lawyers are saying that your your accusation that we broke in is, is wrong on its face because you can't break in. And, and, and he's got video to prove it. And see, this is the kind of stuff that the DOJ is making these wild accusations and they can't back them up. That's why we're fighting for justice for the J6 political prisoners. Our government is corrupt. And, 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 you know, we have to, as President Trump said, we have to have equal justice. And that's why we've got to, you know, follow the plan that I've laid out for us for this year. And, and this is this Patriot priority list. You know, I've been putting it up every week, the 2022 Patriot priority list. 
We have to fix the fraud legislatively. And we're going to talk about that now here coming up with Hans von Spakovsky. We need to take over the operation of the polls. That's going to be another big part of what Hans talks about. And we got to recruit and support warrior candidates who will, you know, turn back, will do the investigations, will make sure that the FBI gets defunded and things like that. And we need to turn out our vote in huge numbers, our voters in huge numbers. That's our plan. That's what we must do. Because if we don't restore our, our you know, equal justice under the law, then we're not a nation at all. So President Trump is correct. But I don't want to restore it with pardons. I want to restore it by enforcing the law as it's written and, and making these courts you know, follow the law. And impeaching judges who won't. And quite frankly, I think um, one of the things we'll push for when we take back the House next year, because the House is the is the who you know it funds the government, right? They pass the legislation, the budget bills, they fund the government. I want them to close this DC prison dung. I want every one of those guards to lose their jobs. And I think they should consider closing down the DC court, because that court doesn't exist without Congress's approval. But that, that's how serious this is. That's why we need 300 warriors. Okay. That's why we need 300 warriors. Now, before I, I play, you know, the interview with Hans von, Spakov, Hans von Spakovsky, sorry, Hans from the Heritage Foundation, you know, on our front page of our website at wethepeopleconvention.org, there is a button. Okay. That says that we need to, you know, you know, it fixed the election integrity in our state. It's on the bottom uh, left there, okay? And when you click on that button, it takes you to a, a page that, um, you know, has a the election integrity scorecard that Hans was, you know, personally involved with. And he's going to tell you the story of that when, you know, when I play the video. And it's just really uh, an interesting story, and it's a wonderful tool that you and I need to use. But Hans is going to give you some information that I did not have before about how we can use this tool even better. It's really a great interview, and so I'm going to play it now. It's it's 23 minutes, but it's really it's really good. So uh, here we go. Uh, we are very pleased and excited to have Hans von Spakovsky with us uh, for our podcast this week. Uh, Hans is just the, I think, the leading expert, but he's certainly one of the leading experts in the whole uh, area of election integrity, voter fraud, things of that nature. Uh, he is a senior fellow, a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Edward Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Uh, as a manager of the think tank's election law reform initiative, Hans uh, also studies and writes about campaign finance restrictions. That's another interesting topic. Voter fraud and voter ID, enforcement of federal voting uh, rights laws, administration of elections, and voting equipment standards. Another very interesting topic. Uh, Harris's election reform project examines not only how to protect the integrity of campaigns and elections, but to achieve greater fairness and security. And boy, we're certainly all interested in that. He is the co-author with John Fund, another great guy and expert of the book, Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk, and that was in 2012. He also wrote Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department, in June of 2014. And his most recent uh, work is Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote, and that just came out. And 
Yeah, that's a very interesting read. He was also uh, you know, appointed by President Trump to his uh, Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity in 2017. So you were right there front and center, Hans, you know, with uh, the 2020 election and, and got to see you know, all the good, bad and ugly that happened with that. So welcome to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. It's so great to have you with us. Well, it's great to be talking to you again. Yeah, we um, let me just take a quick for those of you who uh, are new to the podcast uh, on our front page, I'll show this uh, to you on the front page of our website, you can see that we have uh, several buttons, we the people convention org at the very uh, bottom here, the first button says fix the election fraud, secure your state's uh, vote. And when you click on that link, you come to a page where it says Heritage Launches Election Integrity State Scorecard. And this is the press release that they put out uh, when they did that. So you can read that. But the real meat and potatoes is this Election uh, Integrity Scorecard section here, uh, where uh, at the Heritage Foundation, they've basically taken every state in the union and rank them. Uh, the green ones are you know, the top 10, and then you go to the red ones, which are very miserable in election integrity. But what's really interesting is you can click on a state, take Missouri, for instance, you can click on uh, the, uh, the icon, let me refresh my page, click on the icon and come up with, uh, here's Minnesota, and it shows their score. And then there's these little plus and minus signs that you can click on that will talk about these various items like absentee ballot management, things of that nature. And so we're going to talk with Hans about that uh, and, and, and how he designed this uh, in this podcast so you can get a better feel for uh, you know, how to use this tool going forward. Uh, but uh, Hans, I just think that, you know, just tell us, when did you think of making this tool and how long did it take you? Because this is all 50 states and Right. Boy, there's a lot of information there. So when did you come up with this idea, and how long did it take you to put it together? Uh, we came up with it January a year ago. Um, wow. We wow. were in a meeting, and folks were asking us questions about, well, you know, how good are different states, how bad are different states when it comes to the honesty and integrity of their elections. And while I had a, a general knowledge, I said, well, we don't really know. And that's because nobody had done a very specific analysis of every single state. So we decided to launch this as a project and it basically took the entire year. Because first of all, what we had to do was come up with what are the best practices standards? Uh, and yes. we published that on February 1st of last year. It's a, it's a seven page document, bullet points, uh, and it outlines how we believe states should handle everything from absentee ballots to cleaning up and maintaining the accuracy of their voter registration rolls. And we came up with this after meeting with a number of uh, experts on elections and, and other individuals, uh, former election officials, to come up with these standards. Then we uh, started analyzing the laws of every single state relevant to it. So, for example, one of our uh, best practice standards, it, it, it very basically, is you, you should have an ID law. You know, you should require people when they vote to authenticate their identity with an ID. So we would check each state to see, do they require an ID? If they do, is it a photo ID or is it something else? And then we assigned points to 
to weight each of these different standards. 12 standards, 47 different criteria within those wow. 12 standards. And a perfect score would be 100 points. It probably doesn't surprise you to know that no state scored 100 points. Um, I, I noticed that, Hans. You know, I went to Catholic school, and, you know, if you got a 70 on your test, that was pretty much a D. And right. I'm seeing, you know, even states in the top 10 have 70 out of 100. And some, right. of, the, the, some of the holes in their election uh, laws are, are, are glaring, are giant, right. you know, problems. Right. I mean, I was shocked by that, that just obvious things like, hey, are you checking to see if there's 20 people registered at this vacant lot? You know, right. but a lot of states aren't doing it. They're not that. doing it. No, that's right. And look, one big warning to folks, okay? A lot of people have misinterpreted this to think uh, that it's somehow an analysis of the 2020 election. It's not. You know, we released this a month ago, December 2021, and it's the status of the laws and regulations in each state as of a month ago. Wow. Wow. And keep in mind that many of the states that people had great concerns about in the 2020 election, like Georgia, well, what did Georgia do last year? Remember, its legislature passed a big election law reform package, mm -hmm. one that, that so angered folks on the left that remember Major League Baseball moved its game, et cetera. So right. this is not the 2020 election. It is the status of the states as of about a month ago. Um, the other thing to, to keep in mind is that, as you said, look, you can click on any state. It'll pull up its ranking. It's, it'll pull up its score. But most importantly, it'll pull up the individual scores on the 12 broad standards and the 47 criteria. So you can see where your state is missing something. I'll give you a quick example of that, if I may. Yes. Look, as you know, one of the things that we think uh, was done wrong in the 2020 election, and which had never happened before, was that uh, several very, very rich liberal donors, including Mark Zuckerberg, gave $450 million in grants. They funneled it through a nonprofit organization, but then they gave it to election officials and election offices in states all over the country. That raises serious conflict of interest uh, problems. And in fact, it meant that some places, mostly big urban democratic districts, basically got more funding to get out the vote than other areas. We think obviously that there should be no private funding of election officials anywhere. I don't care whether it's from the left or the right. So one of our standards or criteria was, does the state ban private funding of election officials? Um, yeah. So that's something we would award uh, points for. Uh, also keep in mind that in addition to being able to see exactly how your state rates on all these different standards, we also included model legislative language. Oh, so if, okay. if your state, for example, doesn't have a voter ID law, we've got a model statute included that we think uh, will satisfy that concern and that has survived 
prior challenges in certain states when folks have filed lawsuits to try to knock out these voter ID laws. The other thing is, as you know, this is a moving target. Uh, it's, we're now uh, starting the month of February. Many state legislatures have started their 2022 sessions. You know, most right. states have part-time legislatures. Most of them meet in the first quarter of every year. So we are on the, we will be monitoring all of the states and as they make further changes in their laws, we will update um, the index, the scorecard, uh, so that people uh, will get, like I said, a current view of how well their state's doing. W one final warning, mm -hmm. um, and that is remember, and, and we say this, uh, a state can have the best laws the best regulations, but if election officials and state officials don't comply with them and don't enforce them, then the best laws in the world aren't going to ensure that you have an honest election. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a very, very important point. Well, that's it's funny you, you touched on that because that's one of the things I wanted to talk with you about uh, right. in this call. You, what we saw in 2020 was you know just blatant disregard from yes. for the rules and and I was uh, I can remember I saw nightmares about being on the phone with people in Detroit and in Philadelphia when they were right. covering up the windows and weren't letting us you know see the count and all that and I remember Corey I think it was Corey Lewandowski or one of the Trump team had actually gone to like court in Philadelphia right. to try to get that addressed and the judge you know, ruled for them, but no law enforcement would enforce it. I'm very concerned, and I think all of our, our members are very concerned about that type of lawless action. And I mean, I, I actually was on the phone to the people in Detroit saying, call the U.S. Marshals and have them turn the power off to the building. <laughs> you know, we needed to stop this when it was happening right. because you knew you could never unpack it after it was over. Do right. you, well, look, we, is there we, some way to have a kill switch, Hans? Is there some way legislators can put, you know, some force of law that you can act on the day of the election? Well, in fact, we had the same concerns. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, uh, one of our standards is that they have a, uh, a state law governing the right of observers to be in every aspect of the election, not just watching and polling places as people vote, but watching the opening of absentee ballots, the counting of ballots, and that um, it has strong enforcement mechanisms to prevent election officials from basically breaking the law, throwing poll, poll watchers out. So that was, in fact, one of our standards. Uh, the other, the other um, standard that we have, again, going to what you were just talking about, was we rate states on, on whether or not they have a, either a statute in place or a state constitutional provision that one says that anytime there's some kind of lawsuit in which people are seeking to um, waive some state law requirement, the state legislature is a necessary party. In other words, the state legislature has to be there. They would have to agree to that because remember, we saw settlements in collusive lawsuits in 2020 where- yeah, in Georgia. With the, yeah, you know, some, some ex, right. Some executive branch official would just say, oh, that rule on absentee ballots, sure, we'll agree to just waive it. Mm 
So one, the legislature has to be involved. Two, no case could be settled that seeks a change in a state election law without the approval of the state legislature. But two, or three, I should say, um, the residents of every single state should have standing the ability to go to court to sue any election official who is failing to comply with state law. That way, if you have a complacent legislature, for example, that doesn't want to do anything about the fact that the Secretary of State is not complying with state law, obviously voters who are affected by these elections should have the ability to go to court and get an order from a judge saying, you, Secretary of State, you have to comply with this law. Well, see, we heard that a lot in 2020 uh, with some of these lawsuits. Oh, you don't have standing. You know, yes, that, you exactly. Know, and, and this was really a problem. So this is you know really taking place at, on a state-by-state basis across the country. We have told our members to, you know, go to the election uh, integrity, you know, database, you know, drill down on the things that are still not fixed and then start contacting your secretary of state and your legislators. And Hans, right. lots of times people get you know, confused because there's deep blue states and deep red states and all that. But in a lot of the deep uh, red or uh, blue states, there's Republican legislators. Uh, you know, they're, right. they're in, right. in charge. So these things can be fixed. So is that what you want our people to do, Hans? Do you want uh, citizens to you know, use this tool to you know, identify problems and then contact their you know representatives in that state and and push them to fix it before the primary. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly no right. Yeah. Right. No, no. And listen, let me tell you how this was recently used. Um, an Alaska state Senate committee recently had a hearing and they called in the state director of elections and they had a copy of our rating of Alaska, and they simply went through each of the criteria and standards where the state got a zero score and said, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? Now, keep in mind that while some of the things in our best practices require legislative approval or a state official like Secretary of State to act, there are others that don't. And remember, Elections are run at a very decentralized level in this country. County election boards in almost every state are the people who in your county uh, run the polling places, hire election workers, and do the everyday work of it. And remember, those county election boards have public meetings. I was on two county boards like that, one in Virginia, one in Georgia. The public almost never showed up. And what should happen is, you, look, you know how parents have started showing up at school board meetings? Yes. To question the, the curriculum being given to their kids? People need to start showing up at those public meetings of their county board and asking them questions, too, and finding out what they're doing. And to, to give you an example of this, look, one of the basic things the county election officials ought to be doing, and this is something you and I have talked about, is, look, when a new voter registration form comes in, the county election official should go to the county tax department and say, look, this person says they live at 100 Main Street. Is this a residential address? What is it? 
because obviously the county tax department, they know every piece of property in the county. They right. know they know whether it's a single family home or a condominium complex or a gas station or a vacant lot. Mm-hmm. And if the county tax department says, uh, well, this person who claims to live at this address, this is a vacant lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they should investigate that. If the county tax department comes back and says, oh, yeah, that's a residential uh, uh, address, it's a single family home, that the next step the county election officials should take is, okay, well, how many people are registered at that single family home? Right. Because if their registration list shows that there are 50 people registered to vote at a single family home, that's a red flag that should be investigated. That, those are just basic things. They don't need authorization from the state legislature to do that. They just need to do it. Well, Hans, that's a great idea. And, and in, in our show, you know, we always talk about it's not just talk, it's action. So I right. actually assign you know, things for our, our people to do uh, in every show that, I, that will make a difference, that will, will help. I think this is absolutely a great idea, and I hadn't thought about it, but uh, these meetings that your Board of Election has that the public is allowed to attend, right. I- I'm asking our members to you know, print out the report for your state in the election integrity dashboard and take it with you to these meetings and go through it with your Board of Elections and, and, and see how knowledgeable they are and how much of that they're aware of uh, and again, in a in a positive way, not in a right. confrontational way. We're not accusing them of doing anything wrong. We're just trying to understand. Okay, why aren't we doing things that seem to make so much sense? So right. I'm asking our members to not just look at it and talk to your legislators, but let's call our our board of elections and ask when their next meeting is, and let's go and attend and see if we can be part of the conversation on this because. I think, Hans, you've seen throughout your life, I know when I first got involved with the Tea Party back in 2010 and 11 when we first met, that um, the whole election thing was was too partisan. It was controlled by the parties, right? And, and you know, you had these rules about, um, you know, who, who's the head of the Board of Elections. If they're a Republican, you got to have Democrats and all that. And, and too often, it had a political slant to it. But I think what the American people want now is, is neutral elections that are just fair. And, and, and our people, if we can work the election, if you can volunteer to be a poll worker, well, you don't even volunteer, you get paid to be a poll worker. But there's even other jobs that I'm becoming aware of at the Board of Elections prior to the election that, where you can actually be involved with making sure the election comes off right. Is this something you would encourage citizens yes. to do? Absolutely. Because if you're working as either a poll official in a polling place, or you're working at the county board of elections, for example, uh, part of the process of opening up absentee ballot envelopes and verifying oh, that oh. it really was a voter, you're, you're in a position where you can make sure the law is followed and things are being done the way they should be. If you don't have time to be an election worker, then yeah, be a poll observer, be a poll watcher, because it's very important. Transparency is essential to fair and honest elections. Heck, that's why our State Department, as you know, sends teams of American observers all over the world to watch (laughs) elections in fledgling democracies. And we need to have the same same kind of uh, action here. Well, you know, it's it's really 
a, a thing where, you know, we grew up, a lot of us just being told, hey, your only responsibility is to vote. But the, now we're learning that we need to participate in, in our yeah. uh, you know, representative form of government. And, and that's certainly the elections, the most important part from, from our position. And um, we did some things here, Hans, I'm going to tell you, I was going to show it to you, but it's actually not available at the moment. But it may be something uh, you, you may want to include uh, with your uh, election integrity suggestions. Um, last year, as you may know, or in 2020, um, we, we had our governor cancel our primary election here in Ohio like right. 10 hours before the election. I mean, literally the night before we were going to go vote in the morning and caused a lot of chaos. And um, that was COVID related and there was misinformation and miscommunication about that. But one of the things we did here in Ohio that I think you would like, and, and it's not up now because uh, the boards of elections haven't reported yet what they're doing, but we actually got Secretary of State Frank LaRose to create a poll worker dashboard on his on his social, uh, Secretary of State's website, where you could look at every county in Ohio and see how many Republican uh, poll workers there were, how many Democrats there were, how many they needed, how many more they needed to have, so that you could, as a citizen, see, hey, it takes, I, I forget the numbers, it's, it's like 30,000 people to put on an election. You know, it's a large number of people. And, and too often, uh, you've seen this, where in a, a, it may be a very deep red area or a really deep uh, blue area, there's not enough from the other side, you know, that there's not right. enough poll watchers to give you that, that balance you want to have. And so we're encouraging our, our members to, uh, you know, even if you're in a very, you know, democratic area, that it's even more important to sign up to be a poll watcher or a poll worker to be able it to is. you know be that other side of the of the uh, of the you know investigation as as the ballots they come in. So um, it's really is a civic duty, isn't it, Hans? I mean, oh it's, yeah, it's it is coming into us now that hey, we need this is our civic duty. If we want to have uh, you know elections that matter, it's up to us to do it, not up to the parties. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, it's it's just it's the very same uh, thing as our judicial system. The only reason our judicial system works is because ordinary citizens, people like you and me, um, go to and serve as jurors mm -hmm. in that system. Without citizen participation, uh, we would not be able to maintain the justice system that we that we have. And our election system is the same way. Uh, people can only uh, maintain that system if they participate, not just as voters, but also uh, helping to work the polls, run election sites, uh, and, and be observers too, to make sure that uh, everything is being done honestly. Okay, so you know, as we wrap up here, you know, uh, I'm looking at this, you know, uh, as as the you know, it's hard to believe we're in you know February of 2022 already, <laughs> right? And and so, um, is there still time for, uh, to get the legislators to act on some of these things? Are you do you feel yeah. you know you do feel that that where's time? Yeah, yeah. Look, remember, there's two big things that have got have happened and are going on. One, the really uh, unwise, reckless effort. Um, of Congress, uh, Democrats in Congress, to pass federal election bills yes. that would have nationalized the election process, taken it away from the states. That's been stopped in Congress. 
all these legislatures are now in session in many states. They have the opportunity to pass additional election reform. Or if they're a state that didn't do it, like Florida, Georgia, uh, Texas did last year, now's their opportunity to pass it and get it in place before the midterm elections. Okay, that's good to know. I mean, because uh, sometimes these guys don't move very fast, though, you know, we just had, we're having trouble with our redistricting maps here in Ohio. And, uh, you know, the legislators, legislators here has, uh, has had like three votes in four days, to, you know, to change the <laughs> rules. So they can right. move pretty quick when highly motivated. And I guess that's up to us to go in and get them highly motivated. Hans, how can uh, people help you? How can we help uh, this effort by the Heritage Foundation? Uh, you know, uh, can we can people donate to help uh, with this to, to help fund it? You know, what what can they do to help the Heritage Foundation? Well, look, we are a nonprofit, so certainly donations are always helpful. But the the biggest thing they should do is use our scorecard. Yes, yes. You use it at the local county election board level. Use it with state legislators. Uh, use it to try to do everything you can to improve the fairness, the honesty, the integrity, and the security of elections in your uh, county and in your state. And that that would be the, the most beneficial thing that folks can do. Uh, Hans, that's that's music to my ears, and that's exactly what the, the We the People Convention is about. Uh, you know, that type of, you know, direct individual action. And, and this tool is exactly that. It's a tool, and it's really a, a beautiful tool, the way it's designed, so that you can have it right in front of you, be able to speak intelligently on these issues, and now you've given us the great idea of doing so at the local you know, Board of Elections, uh, as well as to this, our legislature and our Secretary of State. Um, our people will do that, Hans. I pledge that to you. Uh, we see nothing more important than to ensure that this year, 2022, is the opposite of 2020, that there is no chaos, there's no ambiguity, you know, that people feel confident in the vote. And the only way that's going to happen is if we, we close some of these loopholes and we work the polls to make sure that, you know, the, the legislation that's passed is indeed carried out. So I pledge to you that that's what we're going to do, Hans. And we thank you. We thank uh, the Heritage Foundation for creating this this wonderful tool and and keep it up. These are things that uh, you know we like you said, you've never seen one before. You had to build it yourself. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's that's great to hear, and I look forward to seeing what happens, not just in Ohio, but across the country. I'll, I'll try to give you some updates. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, Hans von Spakovsky, you know, an expert in this field. You've really enlightened us and given us some great new ideas, Hans. Thank you very much and all the best going forward. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you. So, I hope you enjoyed that. I think there was some incredible information in there. I thought it was really important that he said, you know, it's not too late. For legislators, uh, legis you know, legislators in your state to act, and that we should motivate them. I love the thing where he said in Alaska they literally went and uh, you know sat down with the legislature and went through the whole thing. And 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 the key thing that came out of this for me that I had forgotten about. See, your board of elections is funded by the county by your tax dollars. You pay their salaries and. 
And as such, they're responsible to you. So that's why they have these public meetings. I had forgotten that they had these public meetings and Hans had a great idea. And I'm, I'm asking you to, to do this. I'm asking you this week to call your county board of elections and find out when their next public meeting is. And then I want you to go to your state's webpage. And, and remember, he said there were 14 points that they had. And then underneath there, there were like 47 more. Or there, there were 12 points and then like 47 more. I want you to click on each plus sign and print it out for your state and then go and sit down at that public meeting and ask them why they don't do certain things. Like, like this is Wyoming, which to me, I would expect to be pretty locked down, pretty conservative state. Their rank is 50, uh, 34 out of 50 with a score of 51. And there's some just egregious things on here that are just are amazing to me. Um, does the absolute ballot needs to be notarized or witnessed? No. There is a limit on the number of absentee ballots one individual can witness. No. The state has a signature comparison requirement. No. So you, you fill out an absentee ballot and you sign it and they don't compare it like they do when you vote in person, right? You know, when you vote in person and they look at your driver's license and then the book has your signature. They don't do that with absentee ballots. Why not? You need to confront your board of elections with that question, why not? Okay. Um, again, you're probably going to want to go back and listen to that interview again because there was lots of really good information in there. But I hope it made you hopeful for this election. And I, I hope, you know, we're, we're undergoing a change, you know, in our country as to what our responsibilities are as citizens. I thought his analogy of the court system, where if we didn't have people to serve as jurors, our court system couldn't work. Well, if we don't have regular citizens and not partisan hacks from political parties or the people that were paid you know, by Zuckerberg and those guys to run the elections, if we, if we don't replace those partisans with just regular citizens, we're never going to have fair elections. And so we need to educate our families and our coworkers and, and our friends and say, hey, did you ever think about working the election as part of your civic duty? Cause I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think you did or I did until, you know, recently, but that's a great analogy he made. I thought this interview was really powerful and, and I do hope you'll watch it again. But uh, we've got to continue to, you know, to, to take action. They've given us the, the election integrity scorecard as a tool. Now we've got to do it with our legislators and with our local board of elections and then by, you know, working the polls ourselves to make sure these things get enforced. Now, he mentioned and I, you know, just mentioned Zuckerberg, okay, and the whole thing about, um, you know, what happened, you know, at, in 2020. Well, there, again, we, you know, I keep telling you, we're making progress in state after state, and Zuckerberg is targeting a proposed constitutional amendment in Wisconsin. An expert who studied the impact of almost 420 million Mark Zuckerberg gave to mostly leftist election officials with instructions to recruit voters from Democrat districts in the 2020 presidential election announced a stunning conclusion. 
He says the 2020 election wasn't stolen. It was likely bought by one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men pouring his money through legal loopholes. And that's what you know, Hans was talking about these legal loopholes that we're trying to close. That's according to William Doyle, a principal researcher at Caesar Rodney uh, Election Research Institute in Urban, Texas, who explained his findings in a report to the Federalists. Now lawmakers in Wisconsin, where 9 million of those Zuckerbucks, as they are derogatorily described, were used to influence the election results in five key population centers. And they want to do something about that. They want to change their state's constitution to prevent it from happening again. Just the news reports that Representative Tyler August, a Republican from Lake Geneva, is proposing that amendment to ban private donations from election operations there. He said it would prohibit out-of-state billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook from using their deep pockets to control our local elections. Well, you'll be surprised when you look at the scorecard how many states allow this. And in Ohio, our Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, took money and about half our counties took money. That's wrong. Because what we now know is they use that money to disproportionately get the vote out in areas that supported Biden. Okay? Now, I want to remind you of something that, that came out this week, and it's really exciting. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, in August of uh, 2021, We've had a story on our website, and you can find the story if you just click on the little uh, eyeglass search uh, icon at the top page in the menu and just put in True the Vote. And you'll see our story that says, True the Vote conducting massive voter fraud investigation. Conservative election integrity group True the Vote has been conducting a months-long massive and clandestine voter fraud investigation into the 2020 presidential election, the results of which may soon start coming out, Breitbart News has learned. Uh, uh, a document that the group's founder, Catherine Engelbrecht, circulated to prospective donors obtained by Breitbart News details several facets of the investigation, which centers on what the group describes as a collection of cell phone GPS ping data in key election hotspots around the country, including Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So uh, we had, or in Michigan, I'm sorry. And so we had this story back in August and, and you know, true to vote, Catherine Engelbrecht is a personal friend. We support their organization, have for, you know, years. Uh, you know, we volunteered for them. They're a great organization. So she told me at that time that her data was going to be the, the subject of Dinesta Souza's next movie. And so this week, you probably saw promotions for Dinesh's new movie called 2000 Mules. And I'm going to play the trailer for you here. Here we go. The 2020 election was the most secure in U.S. history. There has been no evidence of widespread voter fraud. He lost a fair and secure election. The most secure election in American history. Really? All those of you volunteered and worked the polls, you deserve a special thanks from the entire nation. This one mule made 53 trips to 20 drop boxes. He's not alone. 
we tracked 2,000 mules making multiple ballot drops. Leaving no fingerprints. Snapping photos to get paid. A coordinated ring of illegal vote harvesting in all the key states where the election was decided. They delivered us a clear victory. Game over. Yeah, there you go. They delivered us a clean, clear victory. Yeah, illegally. And this video is going to be very powerful. It'll again appear in theaters. And the people who say there was no election fraud are going to have a real hard time explaining because from what I understand, these people that they tracked uh, were responsible for over 200,000 votes. So look forward to that. Again, we're fighting on all fronts and we're winning. And uh, we're going to make sure that we have a safe and fair election this year. And then we're going to turn out our vote and elect a lot of conservatives uh, to, you know, to turn back this communist assault on our society and our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. I'm going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, and we're back for the second half of our podcast, and we're sure glad you joined us. We hope you enjoyed the first half. Uh, obviously, the information about uh, Jake Lang and his hunger strike and the protests on February 23rd at, outside the Washington, D.C. jails was important. Uh, and then, you know, the interview with uh, Hans von Spakovsky and, you know, what he gave us, the information he gave us is invaluable for you and I to be able to make sure that in our area, the election is fair. We've got the tools. We just need to do the work. And I know you will do the work because I know you love this country. And I know that you watch this podcast because you want to know what you can do to save our country. And I'm just saying there is nothing more important you can do than to personally get involved with having fair elections in your community. Okay. And with, and you are talking to your legislature about, you know, passing laws to fix the, you know, the, the leaks, the holes, the just the unconscionable failure to do simply the right thing when, you know, making sure someone's a legal voter in your state. We've got work to do. We can do it. And if we do it, it will change our nation. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about what I think is really, really important. And this is this Canadian trucker strike. Uh, I, I just can't emphasize enough. I hope that you appreciated the presentation I put together last week that made it clear this isn't just about vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. This is about, in Canadians, in Canada's case, this is about are you a country or are you not? Are you a representative republic or are you not? Because it is crystal clear that the Trudeau 
regime has violated their constitution in a huge way. And, and this, uh, you know, this uh, Peter Bickford, this former you know, MP who helped write the Bill of Rights for Canadians, is suing uh, in, you know, the federal government to say you're violating Article 1. You're violating you know, our constitutional rights, and I can prove it. It's getting nasty, okay? And it's bound to get nasty. Freedom is not free. You and I know that. Our political prisoners, uh, you know, in, in the D.C. jails are proof that there's a price to be paid and someone has to pay that price. And so what's going on in Canada, you need to pay attention to because it's going to sweep the Western world. It is critical that these truck drivers win this fight, that they get Trudeau removed or at least they get the, the uh, parliament to back off of these restrictions and reestablish that we, the people, are the ones who rep own this government, who are, you're, you work for us, we don't work for you. And your job is to do what's best for us, not to rule over us. So what's going on? Well, first of all, as you know, uh, Trudeau, who is a total woke socialist leftist, you know, he did not say, holy cow, half a million Canadians, and Canada's not that big of a country, half a million Canadians partook in this, this trucker's convoy. They're here saying, you've gone too far. You need to listen to the, the minority, if you want to call it that, and, and, and you need to change. And instead, what did he do? He gave him the back of his hand. He basically called them every name in the book and said, I won't listen to you because you're not worthy of me listening to you like a king or a monarch would. And he said, you're just a, a loud minority who's wrong and most Canadians don't support you. Well, sorry about that, Mr. Trudeau, but new polls show that the Canadian truckers are not the minority anymore. They are in the majority. And I'm so glad that they did this poll and it came out in the middle of this uh, as some as some protests continues, me, as protests continue in Canada's capital city of Ottawa against vaccine mandates, a poll released on Monday reveals that a majority of Canadians now want to end the Wuhan coronavirus pandemic restrictions entirely, like they've done in the UK, they're doing in Denmark and other places. The poll, which was released by the Angus Reid Institute on Monday, claims that 54% of Canadians now want to see an end to all restrictions and let Canadians manage their own risks in the their exposure to the Wuhan coronavirus. The poll is a 15% increase since early January when a majority of Canadians were not in favor of scrapping the restrictions, okay? Because why? Because of propaganda. Because people, you know, uh, are, are being misled by what they're being told. And if they are being told the truth, they would have a completely different opinion. Um, so I want to play, you know, this this video from um, uh, Mike uh, Rubin's uh, podcast, the Rubin Report, David Rubin's uh, Rubin Report. Uh, as you will see that, you know, they they ousted the opposition leader who was a phony. This O'Neill guy uh, was the opposition leader, but he was really just another lefty. And now they have a new temporary opposition leader, and she spoke out pretty strongly. So watch this video. There are other people in Canada who are putting the pieces together. So right before we started the show, I just saw this video. We had to throw it in. Uh, this is a woman by the name of Candace Bergen. She is a conservative member of the House of Commons. And man, she tore Trudeau a new one. 
Mr. Speaker, and I apologize that that minister is misleading Canadians. I do get very defensive of Canadians who are outside today, patriotic, peace-loving Canadians who are called misogynists and racist by the Prime Minister. So again, I will ask the Prime Minister, who may I remind this House wore blackface on more times than he can remember, apologize to the peace-loving, patriotic Canadians who are outside right now just asking to be heard. Will he speak to them? Here we've got video of Scott Moe. He is the premier of Saskatchewan. That's in Western Canada. I love that name, Saskatchewan. Uh, announcing a plan to fully return back to normal life. Why would he be doing that? Do you think it maybe is because the people are finally standing up? So now, um, and our caucus MLAs are hearing this from the people that they are talking to across the province and the people that they ultimately represent, um, and people are asking their government for a return to normal a removal of public health restrictions, and we most certainly are looking at how we can do that in the weeks ahead here in Saskatchewan. And now I think it is, in fairness, it is time for us as a government to do what Saskatchewan people are asking for. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells you that we have the power in the first place. And and the lesson of this thing is that we've all got to stick a pin in it. We've got to say no more. We have to remember this moment. So that when they come again and they'll come for climate lockdowns and they'll come for all kinds of shit that we can't even imagine. This was the test run for much worse stuff. I think that's pretty obvious. But we must remember that politicians can be moved. They can be moved, but they can be moved by us, we the people. So a truck convoy driving across Canada, well, suddenly you've got politicians going, oh, I guess the people are a little upset and maybe we should do something about it. So listen to what he's saying, okay? Because this you cannot lose sight of. This is just the beginning. This was the trial run. How badly, if we control the news media and can, and can buy, remember last week, uh, you know, the guy said that the Canadian government gave $600 million to the Canadian media to put out the get vaxxed or you'll die messages, okay? If you can control the narrative, how badly can you scare people even in a representative republic, even in a supposed democracy, right? How badly can you scare them with propaganda? And what we've found out is very badly. It's, they've been very effective, way too effective. And David Rubin is saying, we need to stop it right now because they're going to make up quote unquote emergencies that you and I don't call emergencies. Matter of fact, you know, Brian Pickford, the, the MP you know, who's suing them, said a virus that 99% of the people survive is not an emergency. And it's not. And yet they convinced you that, you know, if 1% could die, you need to shut down your business, wear a mask, vaccinate your kids. Look how far they went. Do you see how important this fight is? How we have to back them off and reestablish some balance in our in our government as to what rights the people have and what what needs to be done to protect our rights, not to not to give government more power over us. And uh, Jordan Peterson weighed in with with a, a short video uh, that you know I think really says it all. Hello, everyone. I'm in Miami today on my tour, it's the end of January. I've been watching what's happening in Canada over the last 10 days, let's say, or months before that too. 
wondering what's going on and trying to think it through. I thought I'd make a video today, a message to Premier Scott Moe and Jason Kenney and Doug Ford and leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition, Aaron O'Toole, and ask you guys, what in the world are you waiting for? It's your moment. You've got a huge number of Canadians occupying Ottawa, expressing their dismay with the suspension of our charter rights in the face of this so-called emergency. Our Prime Minister has literally abandoned the city, run away, as far as I can tell, citing security concerns because I think he believes his own propaganda about the nature of the people who are sitting in Ottawa and then lying about it, justifying it as a consequence of being exposed to COVID despite the fact he's double vaccinated and tested negative. You're not going to get a better opportunity. This is your moment, conservatives in Canada. You could come out and say to the population, say to the people who are desperate to hear this, that we can have our lives return to normal and that there's still some danger, but that we've got this with competent leadership and care. We could return our lives to what they should be. We could have our country back. We could move forward into the future in a normal manner. So gentlemen, Premier Scott Moe, Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, you're good men. Aaron O'Toole, you're the leader of the opposition. Man, even the NDP leader came out and said that the truckers were essentially a bunch of white supremacists for, for all intents and purposes. The opposition, your opposition, our government is in disarray. And the people are doing everything they can to make their wants known. Guys, reassure Canadians. Remove these mandates that are crippling our businesses and interfering with our private lives and stopping us from being able to travel. Seize the day. Seize the day, indeed. Seize the day. And, but you're counting on these politicians, right, to do the right thing. And the fact is, they haven't done the right thing up till now, and they're not going to do the right thing if the truckers don't stay. So now... What you're seeing is the, the, the state is going to try to drive them out. Okay. And this, this came out, uh, just uh, Friday, I believe it was. Ottawa police chief promises to end the freedom protests. Okay. So here's what's coming. Ottawa chief promises, uh, to deploy 150 additional officers and closed transit arteries to isolate the protesters. Ottawa police chief Peter Soley held a press conference on Friday announcing measures to combat the, the, and the continued freedom convoy protests in the streets and to block any additional protesters, uh, support from arriving in the city. In essence, the Ottawa police are going to use domestic terrorism authority against the Canadian freedom protest groups. The outline measures include deploying an additional 150 municipal police officers and undercover federal agents to infiltrate the protests and gather intelligence useful for the purpose of eliminating their effort. See, now I thought the police department was there to protect the citizens. And I thought part of that was to protect their rights like freedom of assembly, freedom to protest, free speech. Apparently not. Chief slowly outlined that federal intelligence officers will be collecting financial, digital, um, uh, vehicle registration, 
driver identification, insurance status, and other related evidence that will be used in prosecutions against these truckers. Sounds like pretty heavy-handed deep state stuff, doesn't it? The jackboots will focus on using acts of mischief, hate, harassment, intimidation, and other threatening behaviors, whether real or created by Canadian intelligence operations, to target the protesters. Additionally, a surge of contained strategy we will use to isolate the protests in the red zone area in front of Parliament Hill. Ottawa police will use heavy concrete barriers as barricades to create no-access roadways through the downtown core, and they will likely close off highway ramps and bridges to stop additional support from arriving, which, as I understand it, are, there's thousands of people coming today, Saturday, to join the, the truckers, uh, you know, again, to reinforce what they're doing. And they're saying they'll stay as long as, you know, it takes. But you can see the government is going to violate their rights. Now, see, what they're saying is they're saying, oh, you know, the people of Ottawa are being, you know, hurt by this. You're blocking their streets. They can't get around. And so your protest is a violation of the law. Well, then how do you protest? What right do you have, right? You know, in other words, the, the government is once again saying, well, these people's rights we protect, but you don't have any rights. It's disgusting. But it's, it's, it's the, that's why we must win this fight, okay? And so, not to anyone's surprise, certainly not to my surprise, GoFundMe severs ties with Canadian anti-vax truckers rally withhold $10 million in donations, okay? What a surprise, okay? I'm not surprised at all. To me, why they did a GoFundMe, uh, you know, in the first place is baffling to me. Okay, because GoFundMe has done this to conservative groups before. But basically, prominent fundraising site cuts ties with a convoy of Canadian truckers that has descended on their nation's capital to protest COVID-19 vaccine mandates, passports, and regulations. GoFundMe blocked the release of almost $10 million in donations to the Freedom Convoy Fund Friday in connection with the promotion of violence and harassment in Ottawa. Now get this, follow me here. We now have evidence, said GoFundMe, from law enforcement, oh, you can trust them, like the Ottawa police chief, right, that the previously peaceful demonstration has become an occupation with re police reports of violence and other unlawful activity, the website wrote in a statement. What a bunch of crap. See, they had no problem with this trucker group until they started being affected. And then they started getting pressured by big tech to stop it. So now donors have two weeks to ask for a refund and the rest of the money the group raised will be allocated to credible and established charities chosen by, uh, by Freedom Convoy organizers, the site said. Okay? So they basically are trying to cut them off financially. And what was brilliant about the truck driver's you know, uh, convoy was that they had raised money to pay for fuel and food and hotel rooms and things so the truck drivers could be sustained, right? So now we're going to have the police investigate. Now, now understand, this is in a context that the uh, there were 100,000 protesters in Ottawa and the police said on Wednesday there hadn't been a single arrest. And yet Trudeau accuses them of stealing food from homeless people, okay? And, and, and peeing on national monuments and waving Nazi flags. And now this 
commie woke police chief is going to put people out there to basically instigate, right? January 6th all over again. The left works the same everywhere, folks. They work the same everywhere. But th I do want to tell you, I don't have the link for you yet. It just came out. Uh, there is a new uh, fundraising site for the truckers. It's going to be on a, a, a fundraising uh, platform called Give, Send, Go. Give, Send, Go. And you'll be able, if you did donate to them, you'll be able to get a refund from your money from GoFundMe. And then you can go to this Give, Send, Go, which I believe is more conservative and will not steal their money. But you can see the attack that's going on. And I had, you know, people saying uh, to me, we had a, a local radio host, you know, right away on Monday of this week talking about, well, why haven't we done this in America? Why didn't somebody in the United States think of this? Why didn't we do this, you know, uh, before the Canadians are doing it? Why aren't we? Well, let me play for you a clip from a November 20th, 2020 podcast. The We the People Convention podcast. And this is me talking about what we should do. It's us. It's just us. So we're going to have to defend our country because they're not going to. And we're going to have to do whatever it takes. Okay? Now, I talked to you last week about the trucker strike. I haven't been able to get a hold of anybody. So if you know someone that's tied into these independent truckers that want to strike, please send them my information or have me send to me at tomz at we the people convention.org give me the contact information because i think we're gonna have to back up this trucker strike we hold the winning card they want us to have a shooting war they want us to start killing each other but we don't have to kill each other you and i have the trump card of all trump cards we make everything we literally make everything and because we make everything and they don't make anything, see, they make stock trades and they make uh, you know, business transactions and they make insurance policies. We grow the frickin' food they eat. We, we pull the oil and gas out of the ground that drives their cars and, 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 and warms their homes, right? And makes their, their electricity so they can have the internet and stuff. We're the ones that drive the trucks and transfer the food to their grocery stores and things. See? We've got the upper hand. And when I look at color revolutions, which is what this is, and you should look that term up if you don't know what I'm talking about, where our government has used these same tactics to destroy other governments in South America and Europe, it's the people that decide it by rising up. And so if need be, we the people, the people who make everything, we need to say, guess what? You want a great reset? I'm going to give you a great reset. We run things. You work for us. You don't rule over us. And if we have to, we're going to starve you to death until you get the message. That's the message. We can send that without firing a bullet. They need us. We don't need them. But we're letting them trample us because we haven't stood up and put our foot down and said, this is our country. That may be the great reset that's coming. We'll see. I'll let you know. Well, as you can see, it's pretty animated. And I was talking about there had been some uh, you know, videos released by independent truckers about having a truck stoppage right after Thanksgiving at the end of November 2020 to protest the election results. And I was basically saying, I want to have a trucker strike 
to force a revote, a paper and pen revote, hand count, photo ID, you got to show up to vote. And and we should have done that, but we weren't ready. And 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 I tried to instigate that and what we just weren't ready. Now we might be ready. Now you're seeing that we've had enough of this tyranny, right? And we're starting to say, I'm going to fight back. But get the message, okay? Get the message. This is all backwards. The elites have no right to rule us. And the only reason they do is because we don't stand up. We don't fight back. We don't establish our value to them. And our value is we make everything. And we need to be able to withhold that until they get the message that they have to respect us and they have to, they have to do what is best for us or they will get hurt. And we can do that without firing a bullet. They can't force you to, to grow your crops or to, to drill for oil and gas or to drive a truck to deliver their groceries. They can't force you to do that. Unless you go full communist totalitarian slave labor camps. But that's where we're headed. If we don't stand up right now and say, enough, we're not doing this. But again, you got to be smart about it. And, um, you know, and, and so we're talking about, there's talk about a, a truck convoy in the United States. And so, you know, they've been trying to organize and they're doing, they're making a fundamental mistake. They're, they want to have a convoy go from California to Washington, D.C. I don't think that's smart. If you go to Washington, you're playing into their hands. What you need to do is you need to have convoys that block all the interstates in every state in the union. What you want is pictures of miles of cars stopped on the major interstates in every one of the 50 states. And you want local TV coverage of that because they will be more sympathetic to the drivers, right? And they'll be more sympathetic to the message I just gave you about what this is really about. And that is the elites and our government respecting us and respecting the law and doing what's best for us. But if you go to D.C., you just bring yourself where they can surround you, they can attack you illegally, and the media, the national media, can just tear you apart. Why would you do that? Again, i trying to get that message to some of the organizers, but I was really laughing this week because a big story on Tucker Carlson said, U.S. Tucker slammed face truckers slam Facebook for removing page organizing DC Freedom Convoy. Censorship at its finest. Tucker Carlson had a, an interview with the guy and, oh, geez, you know, uh, this is horrible that Facebook is doing this. What are you talking about? Why would you be so stupid to think you could organize this on Facebook? Like you haven't seen the censorship of everything else, and you think you're going to go on Facebook and do this. A Facebook page organizing a protest by U.S. truckers against vaccine mandates has been removed by the social media giant, uh, rivaling long haulers blasting censorship at its finest, according to a report. The Freedom Convoy of Truckers, following the lead of their Canadian uh, counterparts, plan to drive from California to Washington, D.C. in opposition to vaccine rules nationwide. The group's Convoy to D.C. 2022 page on Facebook, however, was removed on Wednesday for, quote-unquote, violating policies 
around QAnon, Fox News reported. Trucker Jeremy Johnson, who set up the Facebook group, said his personal profile was removed, leading him to contact a civil rights attorney to figure out his next move. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Good luck with that. Uh, Brian Brace, who helped organize the U.S. trucker protests, said he was troubled by the alleged censorship without further clarification from Facebook's parent company. Come on, folks. We're smarter than that. You can't use Facebook. Use Telegram or Signal. Use Parler or MeWe, okay? Or, or Get It or one of these new platforms. Get wise up. Do you think they're going to just let you do this in the United States? This is about force. This is about do you have the strength to overcome their opposition, right? If the Canadian police in Ottawa are going to try to arrest truckers and haul them away, do the truckers there have the strength to resist them like the Polish people did during Solidarity when they helped overturn the Soviet Union? Millions went to prison. People that were members of Solidarity were ruled to be terrorists and were arrested, but they didn't give in. They closed the shops. They shut down the Polish economy until the Soviets gave in. Read about it in the history books. It's a powerful story. That's where we are right now. So truck drivers, wake up. This isn't a game. It's not a publicity stunt. This is serious damn business. It's about individual freedom and liberty. The rights of the individual versus the rights of the states. And you got to do better than putting it on Facebook, for God's sake. But here was some good news that came out this week that you know justifies all of this. And that is natural immunity you know, was again proven to be better than the vaccine. Researchers find people who have recovered from COVID have similar spike protein antibody levels whether they were infected in 20 days ago or 20 months ago. A new report in the Journal of American Medical Association finds more good news for unvaccinated people who've already had and recovered from COVID. Uh, uh, Anti-spike protein antibodies following COVID infection and recovery seem to persist indefinitely in unvaccinated people, researchers found. People tested uh, 20 months after coronavirus uh, infection had slightly higher levels of antibodies on average than those just after infection. And, and the reason it's 20 months is because COVID's only been around for 20 months, and they're saying it's not going to just end after 20 months. They think it's going to continue. So natural immunity is better than the vaccine. But we won't recognize it because if you have natural immunity, they can't make you wear a mask, right? They can't tell you you can't associate with other people. This is the lie. This is why we're fighting. Okay, but we're living in, the, in this land of lies, and, and this one just puzzles me. I put this story out, and if you don't get our emails, go to wethepeopleconvention.org, right on the front page, put your email in, put your phone number in, so we can text you, because they block a lot of our emails, they block most of our emails, and the text messages appear to get through better. So go to wethepeopleconvention.org and sign up to get our messages. And I put this story out, Huge miss on job numbers for January. And this was put out on Wednesday. Okay. Now, let me say this is a Fox business report. Okay. This is not from some crazy website. 
This is Fox business. This is what they do is analyze, right, financial data. And here's what it said. U.S. companies unexpectedly cut jobs in January for the first time in a year as a surge in the highly contagious Omicron coronavirus variant battered labor markets recovery from the pandemic, according to ADP National Employment Report released Wednesday morning. Companies shed 301,000 jobs last night last month, sharply missing the 207,000 job gain economists surveyed by Refinity have predicted and a major drop from the downwardly revised gain of 776,000 in December. It marked the first time the ADDP report negatively reported negative growth since December of 2020, when companies shed 123,000 jobs before vaccines were available. The job losses were concentrated heavily in the leisure and hospitality industry, one of the sectors hardest hit by the pandemic. The in, that industry, those industries shed 154,000 jobs in December as consumers opted to stay home to avoid a new variant. Okay? Legit story, right? Legit source, sources, all this stuff. What happens on Friday? On Friday, the Biden administration releases this. Economy added 467,000 jobs in January despite the Omicron surge, and unemployment rose to 4%. What? What? U.S. employers unexpectedly added a booming 467,000 jobs in January, even as COVID Omicron Byron kept millions of Americans out of work. The payroll gains blowing past a forecast for 150,000 increase were broad-based across industries. Unemployment rate rose from 39 to 4% last month, the Labor Department said Friday. The rate, however, rose for an encouraging reason. About 1.4 million Americans streamed into a favorable labor market. The share of adults working or looking for jobs jumped uh, from 61.9 to 62.2, though that is well below the pre-COVID market 63.4. The ease of finding a job, uh, a better job, the rising wage, and perhaps the expiration of the child's tax credits last night might have incentivized would-be workers, said economist Kathy Bojanic of Oxford Economics. Now, get this. Now, we the other report said we lost jobs. They're saying we gained jobs. And the other report said we primarily lost them in the leisure industry. This report says leisure and hospitality, which includes restaurants and bars, led the job gains with 151, a sign of strength after the pandemic hit them the hardest. Professional and business services added 86,000, retail 61, transportation and warehousing 54,000. Our country is taking everything that COVID is throwing us and we're coming back stronger, President Biden said at the White House. How can I believe that? Do you believe that? I, I can't believe that. I believe this huge miss on judge numbers, but is this just pure propaganda? That's the world we're living in. We can't even count jobs fairly. It's all political. And it's and so when people say to me, oh, you know, Americans are so stupid. They voted for Biden or they, you know, they wear the mask or whatever. We're not stupid. We're lied to. How do you reconcile that misinformation right there? You can't. There's got to be some truth. Well, so here's a dose of truth for you. This was a big story that blew the left brains out. 
New funny study says that lockdown stay-at-home orders did not work. You can find this article at wethepeopleconvention.org because it's a really important article. And the left is losing their mind over this. Lockdown measures used by governments worldwide to reduce the death toll from COVID-19 had little to no effect on mortality, according to three researchers who analyzed 24 studies. The researchers, led by Steve Hankey, co-founder of Johns Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics, Global Health, and the Study of Business Enterprises, screened 18,590 studies to select 24 papers used for the final analysis. So they took the best of the best. Their analysis concluded that lockdowns in Europe and the United States paired the mortality rate from COVID-19 by 0.2% on average. Shelter-in-place orders reduced mortality by 2.9% on average, they found. With this meta-analysis concluded that lockdowns had little to no public health effects, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted, the researchers wrote. In consequence, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument going forward. The study specifically looked at mandated government measures, including mass mandates and travel bans, rather than voluntary measures. I think that's true. I think that's the truth. I think we need to learn from our mistakes. I think this whole COVID response was a mistake. We did everything wrong. We did everything wrong. It was a massive failure of public health policy, of governments and our and our medical institutions. They failed us miserably. And we need to make sure we don't let them do that again. And perhaps that's why half of America already wants Joe Biden impeached. But as I said in my in the article, will the Republicans have the guts to do it? Because that's really the question. A national survey of likely U.S. voters has found that 50% support impeaching Joe Biden after just one year in office. Rasmussen reports, sponsored by the National Pulse, was has conducted in January. A poll asked a collection of likely U.S. voters whether they would side with Republicans in Congress who have endorsed articles of impeachment against the current U.S. president. Fifty percent of respondents stated they somewhat or strongly support impeaching Biden, with the remainder of respondents either saying they were unsure or that they oppose impeaching the current president. When broke down by demographics, men and women were equal in their response to support of an impeachment of Biden. Those aged 40 to 65 had a slightly stronger support than those 18 to 39. All racial demographics were united in their response. Almost 50% of white respondents agreed with impeaching Biden, 50% of black respondents, and more than 50% of other racial minorities are in favor of impeachment. Okay? Will the Republicans have the guts to do it only if we recruit warriors for the Republican primaries and replace the rhinos. It's that simple. It's just that simple. So the problem we have, and it's exemplified by this next clip I'm going to play for you, is how the Republicans just don't care about us. They just ignore us. They just they just don't represent the people who vote for them and put them in office. I'm sorry to say that, but that's just the truth. Okay? And so an example of this is what's going on 
with this bogus Russia invading Ukraine wag the dog screenplay. Okay? Now listen to what Tucker Carlson uh, says in this report. As Putin tries to dismantle NATO and divide NATO, I support President Biden's decision to send more troops in to reinforce NATO. So Lindsey Graham just admits that I'm on Biden's side, but most of them are too clever to do that. They are doing something that you may not notice at first. They're attacking Joe Biden for being weak. His weakness is inviting aggression. And on the basis of that, they are in fact agreeing with Biden and supporting his Russia policy. Got that? We're against Biden. That's why we're backing him up in his Russia policy. Pretty clever. Is that what Republican voters want? Let's see. If you ask them, they'd probably say, well, why don't we send as much military equipment to the Texas border as we've sent to the Russian border? If someone said that out loud, then maybe the entire country could assess how grotesque Washington's priorities are. Speaking of grotesque priorities, Senator John Cornyn represents Texas, has for a long time. Texas is a state that's had well over a million foreign nationals pour into it illegally over the last year, right over the border. That's a far bigger invasion than anything Vladimir Putin is planning in Ukraine. And yet when John Cornyn talks about border security, he's not talking about his own state or even his own country. He's talking about Ukrainian border security. Watch. Make no mistake, an attack on Ukraine is also an attack on America's global security interests and on world peace and could have cascading consequences that right now are too horrible to contemplate. This is an existential threat to our leadership in the world and to the global order we underwrite and to our way of life and the way of life of freedom-loving democracies around the world. What a bunch of garbage. That's who's leading us? That's a Republican, right? An existential threat to our leadership and to democracies around the world? No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Okay? It's a, it's a territorial dispute in the middle of Europe that has nothing to do with us. Okay? And you're getting played, we're getting played, and the Republicans are the ones playing us. So... I need you to call your senators and call your congressmen this week and say, not just no on Ukraine involvement, hell no. Pay attention to our border. Pay attention to our economy. Pay attention to the illegal activities of the Biden administration with the, you know, the war on police. Pay attention to the crime in our cities. Pay attention to the, the indoctrination of our children. Pay attention, you know, to the the uh, the, the transgender uh, movement and how it's destroying our children. Remind them they work for you. We aren't concerned about Ukraine. We're concerned about paying the bills and taking care of our kids and living the life that we want to live. But what a disgrace! And again, we're not going to turn this around. If those people are reelected, we just can't do it, folks. We just can't do it. So I want to end on a, on a, a positive note because this is a great story. Black Lives Matter was a scam from the beginning, and now we are seeing the results of that. And everyone who donated to BLM deserves this news. 
It was great to see. Black Lives Matter removed fundraising features from its website Wednesday after California and Washington, two of the bluest of the blue states, threatened to hold the group's leaders personally liable for its missing financial records, the Washington Examiner reported. BLM hasn't had a known leader managing their $60 million bankroll since May of 2021. California demanded that BLM cease all fundraising activities Wednesday due to BLM's global network's failure to report on its 2020 finances, let alone 2021. And the state said it would hold BLM leaders personally liable if they do not submit information about the organizers' finances organizations finances within 60 days uh, in addition to washington california the bill organization is out of compliance in connecticut maine maryland new jersey new mexico north carolina and virginia it appears that the house of cards may be falling and this happens eventually with nearly every scam scheme or illegal enterprise indiana attorney general todd rokita told the examiner I see patterns that scams kind of universally take. Failure to provide board members, failure to provide even executive directors, failure to make your filings available. The organization drew attention on May 2021 for potential corruption after co-founder and executive director Patricia Colliers spent $3.2 million on four homes across the country. BM's Global Network reportedly raked in more than $90 million in 2020 by woke joke fools who got played while our while the destructive democrats destroyed democrat cities and allowed blm to burn black and minority businesses to the ground and then corporations like target and apple and you know facebook and amazon paid these criminals basically money to not attack them you all deserve to lose your money, okay? I hope they stole it all because you that's stupid. You deserve it. So I thought that was a pretty good way to close the show. You know, it's a little, a little social justice for you, right? A little social justice for you. All right, so to wrap up, we got Jake Lang doing a hunger strike and an event on February 23rd in Washington to bring attention to the fact that they have not had trials, they are not being given bail, and they're being held in solitary confinement for no reason, and, and, and we need to stop that. So say your prayers, write to the prisoners, go to Justice for J6, go to j6truth.org uh, to get their emails or their uh, addresses and write to them. We then had a great piece by uh, Hans von Spakovsky where we looked at closer at the election integrity scorecard. You can find that by going to the front page of the We the People Convention website. I'll bring it up here for you. I can uh, front page. There it is. Uh, bottom corner. Click on the button that talks about election integrity. Okay. And then that'll take you to the page where you can get the election integrity scorecard. And then you can print out you know, the examples of what's wrong in your state and then go, you know, to see your legislators and, and, and write to your secretary of state and say, why are these things still broken? Why are we still having these loopholes that the, the, that people who want to cheat can exploit in our state that are just common sense things like checking ballot signatures and having rules? Okay. But most importantly, call your county board of elections. And go to their next public meeting, print out the list 
that is for your state that shows the things that are wrong and ask your county board of elections, why aren't we doing these things? That will be very powerful. That's a very important assignment for this week. Okay? And then, you know, if you gave to the truckers, go to GoFundMe and ask for a refund. And then look for a new link. I'm sure it'll be online, okay, that uh, you know you can give to to keep them funded because we need them to sustain their fight to defeat the tyranny in Canada because it's the same tyranny we're all fighting, okay? And then if you're involved with the truckers who are trying to organize here in America, tell them, don't go to D.C. Don't play in their hands. And for God's sake, don't use Facebook to organize, okay? You know, get the message to those people. And then, like we just said at the end here, call your congressmen and senators and say, forget this supporting Biden on, on Ukraine. Forget it. You're, tra- you're helping him. That's not your job. Your job is to help us. Stand with the American people. Joe Biden's weak. Yeah, don't help him out. And oh yeah, by the way, we're not boycotting the Olympics in China, are we? Yeah, because Joe Biden's weak, and you're not Republicans. You're not saying, forget Ukraine. What about China, Joe? What are you doing here? Yeah, that would be an intelligent thing to do. Let's see if we can get someone to start doing that, okay, by making some phone calls. All right, that wraps up our show for this week. I appreciate you you know, joining me once again. I really hope that you will tell other people about this podcast. That is the key because we don't have the use of social media because, uh, you know, we, we only have you to promote it and, and it's going very well. We have been growing our podcast dramatically uh, since the first of the year. And I, I hope that's because the content has been value to, valuable to you, but you've got to tell other people about it. You've got to share the links when I send out the text messages and the emails to promote it. And if you have any information that can be you know, helpful to us to do a better podcast to help all of our members and all of our listeners and viewers, send it to info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Send me links. Send me your comments. You know, let me know what you're thinking, okay? Because I'm just trying to help all of us protect and defend our freedom, liberty, and prosperity, and give you the information you need to act that will make a difference. And so I hope you know you will do that. So thank you for being with me this week. We'll see you again next week. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and this is the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. Try it.